How is the popularity of esports and gaming affecting brand marketing? I'm Po Yi, a partner in Manette's advertising marketing and media practice, and this is Perfect Balance, an advertising law podcast for Manette. I'm so excited to discuss today's topic, esports and gaming. Not because I myself am an avid gamer, I'm not, but because I see the impact and influence that esports and gaming generally have on my kids' daily lives, their language, the way they communicate and socialize with their friends, and with each other. As a marketing attorney, I can see that brands are also noticing this cultural shift and adapting to this new reality, which includes active participation in a virtual world. To better understand this fast-moving field, I invited Greg Selko and Ned Sherman to join me on today's episode. Greg is an entrepreneur and CEO and co-founder of the esports lifestyle gaming brand Exet. Prior to Exet, Greg served as the first president, CEO, and co-owner of esports conglomerate FaZe Clan. Ned is a partner and the leader of Manat's digital and technology transactions practice, and also serves as a director in the firm's management consulting group. As both a lawyer and business leader, Ned has over two decades of experience focused on deal-making, legal issues, venture capital, growth strategies, and M&A. Greg, welcome to our podcast. And Ned, it's great to have you back. Great to be here. Thank you. Great to be here, pal. Greg, you've been an early leader in esports and gaming, launching and growing games and esports culture and lifestyle companies, first with FaZe Clan and now at Exet. For those listeners who may not be following esports closely, please give us a brief introduction to esports and the culture of esports. Yeah, so good question to start off with. The way I think about it is even more broad than esports. Um, I think in your introduction, you astutely pointed out that your kids are immersed in what you, I think you call it gaming culture. And it impacts so many facets of their life. It's influencing whether they know it or not, kind of what they buy, what music they listen to. And the reality is that there are 3 billion people now that game worldwide. So it's, it's a massive audience. Not mm-hmm. all of them are esports fans, right? I think, you know, again, I'm just talking broad strokes, but I'd say roughly of the people who, who game, maybe 15% are into esports. And so it's kind of the level set for the beginning of the discussion. I think we should define for the listeners what esports is and what gaming lifestyle is. And I'll try to do it quickly. Esports is competitive play with professional athletes. In this case, they are people who play the game. They're recruited and paid through contracts that are very similar to what you would find in in other sports where there's other professional athletes. They either compete as individuals, so similar to a golf tour, or as a team similar to a soccer team, depending on the game that they play in. Exet is a a killer company, uh, if I do say so myself, in in the esports field. We have 10 competitive esports teams, all in the top 10, if not top five, if not number one, depending on the title. So that's an important part of, of what we're talking about, but albeit still a relatively small part compared to all the other ways gaming lifestyle wraps around or, or is adjacent to. So defined esports, very similar to professional sports, people just playing video games instead of playing baseball or football. Gaming lifestyle is for sort of everyone else. You can be into esports and still sort of live gaming lifestyle, or you could just be a casual gamer. You could play Minecraft like my kids. You could play Grand Theft Auto, which is not really a competitive game, but it's more of a, a interactive, almost pre-metaverse world you get immersed in. So from that, from that being the central hub of gaming lifestyle, things like clothing brands, sneaker culture, 
anime, pop art, um, music, of course, a lot of hip hop and a lot of electronic music is doing activations and gaming like Marshmallow and, and Fortnite, which was the big one that kind of broke the seal. So gaming has really become a massive social network because kids now game with people all over the world, interconnected. They're as likely to game with someone down the street as they are in Hong Kong or London or Des Moines, Iowa. And so trends, style, rumors, you name it, it's being transmitted all the time through the game. And so, as you mentioned at the the end of your introduction, consumer brands are now recognizing how big this is. I think that they don't even understand how big this is everything for most of Gen Z. Yes, I can see that gaming seems to be the hub of social life for a lot of kids these days, including in my own family. A lot of their language and gestures seem to be adopted from popular video games. Gaming doesn't always involve actually playing games. Kids seem to just enjoy hanging out in front of the TV with those in the room as well as those connected virtually through the game. They talk about school, their friends while playing or watching the game. I think through video games, a lot of kids were able to socialize during the pandemic when they were home. As a parent, it was really interesting and a bit disconcerting to watch this development. Yeah, my kids are pretty young, so they're not playing a lot of the games that XSet's involved in, although we do have a, a Minecraft creator, and that's sort of their big thing right now. My son is actually taking a course on roadblocks. Um, <laughs> there's a whole world of slang around gaming mm-hmm. that have gaming connotations that uh, it's not clear whether they've come from hip-hop or whether they've come from gaming or where they originate. But I mean, the intersection of all the cultural things that kids are into really ties through gaming now. Let's talk a little more about Exet. How does Exet differ from other esports and gaming companies? And how are you aligning your business strategy to this cultural phenomenon? Well, I'm going to list a couple things in, in no particular order. Some of them have to do with more qualitative and value type areas. And then others are, I think, more quantitative, more specific focuses that we have. You know, I think the first and foremost, Exet was founded with a focus on diversity and inclusion, something that's always meant a lot to me. You know, my first company, Karma Loop, which did over a billion dollars in lifetime revenue under my tenure, was a company that I founded to sell streetwear fashion around the world. But part of what made it really unique and why it was so well loved in a lot of ways is that we really had an incredibly diverse customer base and incredibly diverse company. And we, you know, we really walked the talk and it was something that we just did. And so I think that we're recreating some of that. In some ways, I think streetwear cultures evolved into gaming culture. There's a lot of crossovers. So the, the three things that I think on the exterior sort of outward facing is not exterior, but I'd say, let's say outward facing is one is that we want to be the most diverse and inclusive gaming org in the world. We want to be welcoming to LGBTQ. We want to be welcoming to people of all races. And we have a little bit of a social stance on that. We've really put that out forward and it's resonated. The day we launched in the New York Times, we just were inundated by people who were saying, finally, there's a gaming org for me. Finally, there's a place that gets the gaming actually over indexes with Black and Latin folks in, in the U.S. in terms of hours played. Yet the representation on teams have been anemic, basically. So I think it's not only the right thing, but it's also smart. We're also focused on social good. We just did a big Black History Month campaign through social all month, highlighting folks in the gaming industry, whether they're part of Exet or not, that are making impacting all levels of gaming and gaming creation. So we want to be the baddest good guys on the planet. That doesn't mean we don't have swagger. It doesn't mean we don't have style, but it means at the end of the day, 
we have a certain set of values that, you know, we're all trying to live by. The third thing is that we are unabashedly a pop culture brand. Gaming lifestyle, as you pointed out, is the new pop culture. All culture has some gaming almost touches everything now. Thanks, Greg, for sharing that really forward-looking strategy. Ned, turning over to you, you've also been working for years with gaming and esports companies, including Exet, both as a lawyer and consultant. I'd love to hear your perspective in terms of how you think the industry has evolved in the past several years. And what are some of the opportunities and challenges that you see facing the industry today? Great to be here, Poe. And Greg just hit on a whole bunch of really interesting things we could dive in more on. Yeah, well, listen, I mean, it's the evolution is going from an industry that was really built around software development and licensing which is still kind of at the core of the bigger game industry, to now what Greg was describing, which is an industry that is at the center of the cultural zeitgeist, that we as kids used to go to school and talk about what was on SNL that Saturday night. Now all the kids talk about are memes and what's being posted on Reddit, and they're having these chats in Discord servers. My son, you know, who's in high school, studies with his friends in a Discord server that he manages. That's the communication channel that they feel most comfortable in, even for studying, uh, not just communicating around the gameplay. So there's just so much is going on. Uh, Greg kind of talked about we have 2.8 billion gamers around the world. Hardly any kid today does not consider he or herself a gamer. So you're seeing this culture play out in apparel and in sneakers and in music and in anime and in food and really every component of life today, which means that for marketers, it used to be that it was mostly kind of the endemic brands that were looking at the game industry and esports as an avenue to reach potential consumers. Now everybody's having to look at it, non-endemic brands included. What that's meant for me and the rest of us at the Nat who work in the games and esports industry is we're not just doing software development and licensing agreements for our gaming industry clients. These clients are media companies. They're big time talent. So we're doing production deals. We're doing all kinds of distribution deals with every platform out there. We're doing all kinds of endorsement brand deals at a very, very high level. We're starting new companies and divisions of companies like Xset that have the opportunity with the talent and the distribution channels that they had to now go into new streams. Greg mentioned that esports kind of started with a focus around the teams. Now you're seeing these esports orgs become media companies with all kinds of different revenue channels that are wrapped around them. So those are some of the things that we're seeing. I, th- I think it's just a massive opportunity. And you're starting to see that play out even in big Hollywood productions. This is mainstream. All the kinds of deals that you would expect from major digital players and major entertainment companies and major brands are happening right at the center of the game industry. I definitely agree with that. I think that brands will go wherever the consumers are. And how brands interact with this new culture or evolving culture, that will also evolve, depending on how consumers are interacting with games and how the culture is shifting. Greg, I'd like to go back to Exet and Exet's approach to business. What would you say is the attraction for brands and marketers to work with companies like Exet? 
I think what brands are looking for and expect, I think XSET is a, a very brand friendly brand. I think one of the things we thought about is, you know, we still are a business as much as we want to be authentic and support diversity. We also want to build something that generates revenue. And one of the things that we've done is, you know, when you look at other gaming brands, we, we haven't sacrificed the coolness or the irreverence for stuff that's too edgy or kind of borderline, which a number of the gaming brands have, which makes them not as brand safe, right? So we've got a brand that makes sense, right? Not saying the other brands don't make sense, but I think we're a good bet for a consumer company. Why XSET or why anyone else is because a lot of times you hear in marketing speak, people talking about the number of eyeballs, right? You know, you talk about the number of subs, things like that. Well, all the numbers are astronomical. So kids are either communicating with their friends while they game, watching a concert while they game in, in game, buying digital items in game, except in three games now where they have digital items that have our branding kids can purchase, streaming for their friends or, or if they're a larger streamer for a big audience, which is live gameplay streamed over the internet, watching other people stream, watching YouTube videos or watching TikTok, include memes and, and culturally relevant things, but oftentimes with a gaming spin to it. So if you want to reach Gen Z, and that's going to continue to grow as, I mean, there are plenty of people in Gen Y, millennials that are also avid gamers, but I think as Ned pointed out, everyone's a gamer now. If you're a consumer brand, you have to do something in gaming or you're not going to touch the next generation of consumers. So I think that the CMOs and other folks, they know they have to be in gaming, but it's very hard to translate the kind of visibility or branding or impressions that they want because they're used to it from old media, from magazines or TV or, you know, just things that almost don't exist anymore. It doesn't translate the same into the gaming world. It's got to be different. It's got to be more integrated. So I don't think that we've fully, as a gaming industry and gaming lifestyle and esports, really figured out all the best ways to, I think it's coming and we will figure it out. And hopefully XSET is one of the, one of the leaders, but really offering them sort of a solution that's easy to reach this audience. So I think it's really on us now. I think we finally arrived where every consumer brand knows this is where I need to put my money. This is where I need to put my brand. Now we have to find even more clever ways to get that in front of the consumer in a way that's not just blatant advertising because kids aren't going to watch just ads, but also have enough of the brand in it that the brand is going to be pleased with how it's being presented to the gamer. Greg, you mentioned that Exet is a brand safe company. As you know, brand safety is a big issue for brands. Maintaining authenticity without jeopardizing brand reputation is a challenging balancing act. How does Exec go about ensuring brand safety without sacrificing the cool factor that often seems to involve words and acts that may not be considered brand safe? That's something we think about a lot. You got to think about gaming is one part professional sports, three part media, and who gets in trouble in the public eye? athletes and famous people, famous entertainers, right? I mean, that's because that's who we pay attention to. And so there's risk and it needs to be mitigated. So there's two ways to way we look at it is Exet as the parent brand for this collective of streamers, celebrities, and esports players. We have to look at who we partner with, what type of events that we put on, how we're messaging to the world. And all of that, I think we're very good at at Exet. Now, the other thing is, it's who you recruit. You have a number of 
brands where they just have, they have people who are streamers or YouTubers, 18, 19 year old kids making a ton of money all of a sudden. They've got a lot of pressure. People watch every tweet, everything that they say on Twitch, every Instagram post. And so they're bound to say some stupid things. So you, you can't completely eliminate that risk. And knocking what we have not had any major incident yet, but we've thought very long and hard about how we would address it and what the severity of response would be based on what people said, right? Obviously, if someone said something racist to, you know, now, while under the banner of Exet, we would certainly, that would be it, right? So we have to have clear sort of understanding of how we address things if, if folks say things that are off-brand, off-message, or negative, or toxic, or bullying, or racist. But then I think the other thing is really who you recruit with that psychographic. We really look at who fits the Exet mold. You know, we're still small now. I mean, relatively, I mean, we're huge for our age, but small from where we're going to be. So we've gotten a number of streamers that we're trying to build from the beginning. We'll probably start to recruit some bigger personalities. We, you know, we did the esports first and now we're building the everything, the world around it. So we're going to have to look at what they've said in the past. We've got to make sure that, you know, we turn over as many stones to make sure that they really fit our brand. And then the first thing we did when we did Exit is we wrote 10 principles of what the company stands for. And it, it's around our values. It, by extension, brand safety, because this is the brand and the organization and the culture we want to have internally. And so we share that information with everyone involved in the company. So they, they understand clearly what's acceptable and what we expect when they represent the company as one of our talent as, or one of our esports players. Obviously, with celebrities that are involved, it's less easy because they're probably a little more removed. They've got a lot of other things, a lot of other interests. But We've been able to successfully navigate it so far, but it's definitely a challenge and it's definitely like something that there's no silver bullet. There's a lot of different things you have to do to keep your brand safe, to keep it marketable and to stay on message. Agreed. Speaking of talent, Ned, you represent some of the top talent in esports and gaming. What key considerations do you think about in structuring endorsement and collaboration deals between gamers and brands? Yeah, let me just touch on something that Greg mentioned first, and then I'm happy to jump into that. You know, I think one of the things in working with talent is the brands also need to really understand what is the persona that they're working with? What games do they play? Uh, what platforms are they on? These are considerations that I think that all come into play with the, the brand safety question. But to your question, yes, so we represent some of the biggest talent in esports and gaming today and have structured their deals on the major platforms, digital platforms, and with major brands and with teams, and as well as player deals for some of the talent that are also professional players. What I've really noticed is that in the last two years, the talent have gotten much more selective about the brands that they'll work with. And they've been able to command much higher fees in the deals that they do. The compensation structures, I've also been getting more unique in terms of kind of the mix of cash and rev shares. Sometimes there's even equity components when these are longer term deals and uh, talent is helping to really build a brand and grow a brand. Sometimes the talent are structuring their own investment vehicles and investing in some of the brands that they're aligning with. So there are two-part deals that involved an investment as well as an endorsement component. 
on the smaller deals that are the more traditional influencer marketing deals, you know, there's always the question of whether these are work made for hire deals or whether the talent uh, is owning the content and licensing the content to the brands. And for what duration and on what mediums can the content be put out on? In the course of producing the content, the question of approvals always comes up with the talent. You know, when I'm representing talent, we're looking for approvals on our end. The brands are typically looking for as much approval rights as they can on, the, on their side of things. And then one thing that goes back to the brand safety question is kind of the morals clause. And Greg mentioned, maybe these are, for the most part, younger kids that have come into you know, a lot of money and mistakes are made. So there's usually a negotiation around what happens in the event when a talent says something or does something that doesn't align well with the brand? What are the repercussions for that? You know, just a couple of the other things that we really get into quite deeply are exclusivity for what term and what the talent's prevented from, who he or she is prevented from working with during what period of time when he's working with he or she working with a particular brand. These are, are pretty involved deals. Some of the deals that we're doing are very short term and others may be longer, multi-year terms. And as I mentioned before, sometimes involve obligations that go beyond just the creation of the commercial or the content that this align with the brand. They may involve media interviews, event appearances, collaborations, maybe even developing a brand in line with another brand that name and likeness are tied to. So it's a pretty robust space right now, Pop. It certainly is an exciting time for lawyers like you and me, especially because the industry and technology are all moving and changing so fast. Now, what I'd like to do next is take my crystal ball and pass it over to Greg first and then over to Ned and ask you to look inside and tell us what you see in the future of esports and gaming in the age of the metaverse. Thank you for passing me this beautiful crystal ball. Um, where'd you get it? <laughs> Ned's desk. So anyways, looking into the future, it's very exciting because there's so many elements of gaming, lifestyle, esports. I mean, all of it, even when I say esports is a small part of the business, it's still the fastest growing sport in the world and still overtaking almost all professional sports in the U.S. except for football. And that, that it will eventually eclipse that in terms of viewership. But I think for me, obviously, it's on everyone's mind. It's the metaverse. And in many ways, Fortnite is both a game, but it's also earlier foray into the metaverse with their creator mode. And they're building more stuff there. Epic's building more stuff there. I think even games like The Sims that came earlier, those were sort of towing the water towards what the metaverse is. And I've gotten experience some cool stuff around the metaverse and VR recently, and I'm pretty blown away. However, it's going to have an adoption hurdle because one, the VR stuff's expensive, still clunky, still people get sick. You can obviously go into the metaverse to a regular 2D display. In fact, I was shown a prototype of something that we're working on, which I can't share, share much, and it's still got some ways to go, but it was sort of our first little slice of the metaverse, and it was really cool. Because I was like, wait, you can go over there, and you, there's stuff over there. Wait, but I could just turn around and go that way. It's limitless. You're in a, in a world, right? But I think, for me, I think it's going to be very exciting to see how the blockchain and NFTs are ultimately used for gaming. They will be used for gaming. Some of it's being done already. I think the collectible sort of craze that's going on with NFTs, when gaming organizations have tried to emulate that or to do something similar, that's what's going on. It's going on in the art world and the traditional sports world. 
They've gotten a lot of blowback. Gamers are very savvy. Uh, they're very tech forward. And they've a lot of the impression has been like, hey, it's a hot thing. It's a cash grab. You're taking, you know, don't sell me something that doesn't have utility, doesn't have value. So NFTs will exist. I don't think it's collectibles, but as we've done a lot of thinking about where the value is and utility is in gaming. So there's going to be a big change going on in the gaming world. It's going to get much more immersive when you talk about the metaverse. And the blockchain is going to make things possible and ownership possible in a way that hasn't been possible. And NFTs are going to be used, I believe, for access and utility value in the ecosystem of gaming. And how that plays out, I don't know, but it's going to be a very exciting next five years of constant evolution happening at a rapid clip. And now, Ned. What do you see in the crystal ball? Do you see what brands are doing or should be doing in this new world order? Um, taking the crystal ball, let me say I agree with everything Greg said. I mean, it's the game industry is really taking the lead on the metaverse and brands are typically first movers. And we've seen a lot of innovative brands that are developing campaigns, creating content for various ecosystems. I think the first question to think about, though, is, and, and brands need to really think about, is what is the ecosystem that they are creating a campaign for, building content for? Is it closed? Is it open? And what are the rights that they're granting? What is the ownership of the IP that they're creating in that environment? And then there are just a whole bunch of exciting things that are happening that Greg kind of touched on, and, and we're starting to see come into a lot of the deals that we're working on. And a lot of it revolves around NFTs and about cryptocurrency and tokens and whether a brand wants to play in that space and maybe even create its own token. So these issues, I think, are going to just come more into light. There's still the regulatory considerations that we've yet to see complete guidance on. And we're watching, as you know, Poe, very carefully at the firm with our fintech and securities practice. But I think it's a super exciting time. And for brands that want to be out on the avant-garde and really want to be leaders and want to connect with the gamer communities, uh, you've got to have a metaverse strategy. And I think it really is a matter of kind of deciding what that is, how you're going to address it, and making a plan and moving forward. Greg and Ned, thank you so much for this fascinating discussion. Before we end this episode, I'd like to ask each of you to provide one tip for brands wanting to work with esports companies and gamers. Ned, you already said that brands need to have a metaverse strategy. Can you tell us what brands should consider in developing their metaverse strategy? I just say that, you know, as a brand and working with gamers and influencers in the metaverse, there's going to be some degree of giving up control. And I think, you know, really understanding the risk and opportunities around that. Some of it's legal, some of it's brand equity, it's uh, brand safety issues all come into that. And it's a conversation. But I think there's one thing that every brand needs to kind of address is how comfortable they are with giving up some degree of control. Greg, what about you? So I'm going to take what Ned says and extrapolate a little more from the perspective of the gaming org and the talent, right? And the players, which is specifically around brand imaging, colors of logos, mixing logos, doing video content that's longer or shorter than they're used to, doing product placement in a way that's a little crazy from their perspective, that's sort of like stunt marketing that provides good content. 
being in games in a way that they wouldn't normally have their brand displayed in IRL. So I think that if the brands truly listen to the folks that know what they're talking about and let them, the ones that let the content creators and the gamers and come with ideas that are out of the box, but actually are, are native and authentic to the gaming audience, those are the ones that are going to be successful and be adopted and appreciated by the gaming audience. The brands that just try to do the same thing from a different world in this new reality and are going to be scared and rigid, they're not going to be adopted by Gen Z because it's just a totally different world, as Ned pointed out. Oh, also the other thing, something just popped in the crystal ball I want to share, which is that XSet, <laughs> in the future, XSet's going to be the most dominant gaming brand in the world. So who knows? <laughs> Thanks again, Greg and Ned, for this insightful discussion about opportunities and tips for marketers and brands in the games and esports industry. And thank you, listeners, for joining us for another episode of Perfect Balance, an advertising law podcast from Manat. As shared in today's episode, the games and esports market is expanding rapidly, and many brands and companies are looking to get involved in this digital space. We are fortunate at Manat to have a multidisciplinary team of professionals who provide guidance to a variety of companies that are already involved or are getting involved in esports and gaming, as well as the metaverse and Web3. To learn more about opportunities in the metaverse, please check out Manat's three-part webinar series that covers topics including notable developments in Web3 and the metaverse, which sectors will be impacted most immediately by the introduction of Web3, and strategies and questions to have in mind if your company is looking to explore its metaverse strategy. The first of the three-part series is available on demand. The next webinar will be hosted on April 7th and will feature Ned as a panelist. The link to download the webinar recordings or register for upcoming programs is included in the caption for today's episode. If you enjoyed today's discussion, please subscribe to Perfect Balance, an advertising law podcast from Manat to receive updates about future episodes. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Perfect Balance, an advertising law podcast from Manat. The views expressed on the podcast reflect the personal views and opinions of the participants and are not intended to constitute legal advice or counsel under any circumstance. Downloading and listening to this recording do not result in the formation of an attorney-client or other business relationship. You should not act on any information in the podcast without seeking the advice of a competent attorney licensed to practice in your jurisdiction. 